The Break Room from Griffin Wink Advertising, live on Facebook and YouTube Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central. Audio presentation available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Break Room. This is our weekly live stream where um, different employees of Griffin Advertising, we get together and talk about kind of what's going on in the industry, um, any kind of exciting developments that we can share, um, insights we can provide with the public or our clientele is the goal of this live stream. And man, this last week has been incredibly uh, rocky and tumultuous for the digital space. So we have a lot to talk about. Joining me today is uh, Kevin Wade. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. Yeah, this uh, this week was a mess. But basically, um, well, I, whenever stuff like what happened this week happens, like I, I have very little like actual insight into like, n- not as much as y'all have being kind of more in that in that space of kind of placing digital marketing and, uh, you know, understanding the way these things run. So, I mean, my, my, uh, my, my go-to is either, uh, Satan or Skynet. <laughs> one of the two S that's when it, whenever something like a, a giant outage or a giant internet wide issue happens, I'm just instantly like, all right, either the robots have taken over or there's a higher power that just doesn't want me to be on Facebook today. Yeah, no, honestly, um, it, there's a lot to discuss. It's funny, too, because everybody thinks things might be related to other reasons when really it's just Conspiracies. big technology slip up. Yeah. How are yeah. you doing, Trace? Oh, pretty good. Um, yeah, just this week was a little nuts. And um, I'm, I'm here. I'm Eric, this is kind of your thing. So I'm really excited to hear I feel like uh, me and Kevin are about to buckle up and just get a dose of knowledge ourselves, and I know. yeah. we can add some like jokes or something in there. To, but. Yeah, we'll just be we'll just be the color commentary, but like not yeah. not the Monday Night Football color commentary. We're gonna be like uh, ESPN Plus, like bottom of the Big Twelve, like the, the 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 commentators that like they're like, yeah, we'll give this person a try on color, and the play by play guy goes, and the color's like, yep, that's football. This is yeah. This <laughs> that's gonna be our that'll be my color commentary. Don't worry. A little more in it, but I yeah, this is gonna be in y'all. This is yeah. This is definitely a a break room where where Eric is the is the is the the most learned. So, um, but hey, that that means we can just be uh, that archetype of the audience. So, Eric, would you please tell us um, for our own edification and interest, what the heck happened this last week? So there's two major storylines that we wanted to kind of touch on today. One is how last um, last week there was a huge batch bulk expiration of SSL certificates from Let's Encrypt. And then we have earlier this week, the entire Facebook ecosystem went down and crashed for six to eight hours, which left everybody go completely uh insane as well as jumping on twitter which saw an enormous spike in traffic and usage as well which was funny it's always so like games were awesome oh man yeah. it was great so basically the first of the two probably nobody saw happen unless you're a part of the the online digital marketing or web development industry and then obviously the second one everybody saw happen but nobody really knew why so i think it's to interesting. a degree 
it's uh, that first one, the bulk expiration of SSLs, that did affect a lot of different services. Um, so Amazon, what, Monday. Explain what that is really quick. So SSL certificates, SSL, like what, what, what was, what are these and why then was it such a big issue that there was this bulk expiration? Yeah, I think everybody's somewhat uh, familiar with the concept of SSLs only because they've probably visited an unsecure page in Chrome before. And they got this big message that pops up and says, warning, you're about to go to an unsafe uh, website that can steal your information. I'm <laughs> sorry, I'm wiping my nose here. These fall allergies have gotten <laughs> me set off entirely today. The internet but, broke um, and it's fall. Uh. Exactly. That love it cotton harvest season is whew, something else, but um, I digress. So what an SSL does, it's a layer of encryption that protects the website from your device. So basically mm. it makes all the data that could be absorbed from that open connection and encrypts it. So there can't be a third party, you know, individual in that, communication between your device and the website there's a layer of encryption there that keeps things separated which means your passwords if you're doing e-commerce or online orders or if you're submitting a contact form with personal information or a personal message all of that data is going to be encrypted before it gets passed through that connection so that's what an SSL is at its most basic level. There's varying levels of encryption that you can work up to. E-commerce and banking websites operate on a higher level. You know, even we do that on our, our servers. We have yeah. different protocols that we do when you're actually transacting financial information. Then you have your basic websites that don't, you know, necessarily need an SSL outside of the fact that it's best practices for now and you might get flagged on some browsers. Yeah. So, and, most, and most browsers, the, I think one of the big things being that most browsers will not show a site without an SSL certificate. So practically why this became difficult this last week, right, is that most browsers won't show a site if they don't detect an SSL. That is a big piece of it. And then it gets more and more confusing too, because we're now not just talking about SSLs. We're actually talking about other layers of encryption like TSLs. And when you think about something like a productivity application, like Microsoft Teams, you know, you have your app side of things, you have your web app side of things, which might be teams.microsoft.com. Then you have your admin panel, which is admin.teams.xyz. So you have really, really, really complicated ecosystems. And when each one of those has its own SSL, how it communicates with the other ones, and then every single one of these just disappears. disappears yeah. What happens is this is the first time since... Uh, the internet was invented like 40 years ago <laughs> that we've seen a major SSL expire like this, you know, kind of a cross SSL provider do a back batch expiration like this, which is why there's really been, you know, there's no precedence. When this happened, there wasn't something that people could look to and be like, this is how we fix it. It was just like, holy crap, like we really don't even know. And it, they started to learn about it by individual reports. You know, the productivity software we use as uh, a company internally, I wasn't able to log on. Yeah. And it was funny because I was the only person that was affected. And 
That is interesting. And then I started to read about it on their kind of status update log, and it said only people in Texas. And then it was like, now it's people across, like, you know, the southern states, and now it's like the western seaboard. And it just kind of kept moving and moving and moving mm-hmm. as they started to hear reports coming in from different places. So it was kind of a case-by-case troubleshooting thing until they started to see how their different kind of levels of encryption needed to talk to each other and were able to reinstall things and, and slowly get things back up and running. But I mean, these are major, major companies with huge support staffs behind them. When you think about something like Microsoft or um, Amazon, you know, you have some of the best software engineers in the world working at these companies. Still, it took them six to 12 hours to fix this, you know, and it's an enormous outage that a lot of people um, notice. So it was, it was interesting to see how that happened and kind of what you guys said earlier in the episode where it's like people knew there was an issue, but the actual issue that caused it is kind of in the weeds. So yeah. nobody really like all they knew is that they couldn't it. log into their their software or they couldn't get on the websites, which. Yeah, that's interesting. So what's yeah. the expiration? Was it like. Was it like a date set that just happened to be coincidental that like all these things, all these expired on the same day or was it not really like that at all? No, no, it wasn't like a planned thing by any means. It was just like something, a switch flipped from the Let's Encrypt provider oh, that like oh, provided wow. all of these TSLs and it just like ball canceled them entirely. Jeez. I thought maybe it'd be yeah. like a, a Parks and Rec episode where... Uh, April scheduled all the meetings on March 31st because she didn't think it was a real day. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's like, it was, yeah, it was not like a Y2K scenario, um, which was funny, but it is, uh, it is something to be aware of. You know, we saw a handful of our clients, um, you know, had levels of encryption that required a little bit of kind of troubleshooting things, but luckily, you know, we're not handling things like Amazon. Um, So it was fascinating to see just from like kind of a smaller business or just kind of a consumer perspective of how to troubleshoot, like when security breaches happen, how they happen, and then how much ecosystems are dependent upon each other to where when one issue in this kind of complicated series of events that makes everything work gets ripped out, it was interesting to see how people reacted to it you know from a developer perspective of you know it's your worst nightmare that you know something's wrong it's a major issue that is affecting a lot of people and you don't know how to fix it and you know that and how we do that as an agency is unique i think you know and how we kind of go forward and we you know we have different levels of alerts of when we'll actually make people aware of things and do kind of correspondence and yeah. then troubleshooting, taking things down and doing maintenance modes because, you know, to, for whatever reason, maybe it's because we're an ad agency, we're good at crisis management. You know, we understand <laughs> how to pump brakes, explain situations yeah. and slow things down. But I think what we saw last week was a lot of companies did not have that ready. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I think it's, it speaks about the importance of all of that as well. That's the point of crisis communication. Like, actually, we've given seminars on this just because as the stewards of our clients' brands, 
the crisis communication is a huge part of that. How do you respond when literally anything happens? So not only do we have protocols set up uh, through our own processes to, uh, to, to have really solid crisis communication because we handle so many different brands, but we include crisis communication as part of the conversations we have with our clients because that's just as important. Uh, write, writing up a crisis communication plan is just important as writing up a brand book or writing up uh, you know, a brief. It's, it, it's something you have to have to be able to instantly reference that just makes situations like this so much less foreign and mysterious. Because then it's even though we don't know exactly what happened, we have steps that we know we can take. It's Yeah, it's, it's about knowing that there's things that you can do, even if yeah. those things are just systematically shut everything down and make people aware until we know what's going on. That's still something you can be proactive about. It's when you're hit with something like this and you feel completely powerless because you perceive that there's no action you can take, that's when that that's when people start freaking out. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head because that is what was happening with me when I couldn't log into the <laughs> software we use. And I immediately went to kind of our, our messaging platform and said like, hey, is anybody else having issues? And everybody's like, nope, 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 nope. Everything's fine. Like it's, it's on you. And I was like, it's all Eric's fault. What? It's always all Eric's fault. I was fault. like, how? One of your, one of your corgis too. Get out of work for the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, of course, it was one of those days where I like really needed to get on there too and like had specific things I needed to execute from there. And it was just like, geez, Louise. So I'm, you know, my level of anxiety went up and then I'm looking at the status update and there was no communication at all from that company. You know, we all have accounts with emails on them that they could have sent something out explaining it, but it never happened. Nope. Not one thing. We, you nope. know, we didn't hear that it even happened from them. So yeah. it just goes to show that like, yeah, you know, like you said, we have procedures in place. Uh, there is troubleshooting procedures in place too. If a website's broken, you know, I know what to do. I know to turn on maintenance mode and then disconnect all yeah. the plugins and then slowly add them back on until you and, see and what's causing the error. And even if it's in something like maintenance mode or a, a down mode, usually we have pre-prepped um, a, a, a branded piece of information that goes up while the site is in maintenance mode that carries the brand of the business mm -hmm. that, that has the logo, the, a, a familiar brand. So people know that it's not just down because it's down. We know that it's down, that this brand that you're interacting with is very much aware. And we took action previously to prepare for this so that you as the consumer, you as the visitor do not find it to be a jarring experience. You may not be able to get to where you want to on the site, but you don't feel like it's, it's random or unaccounted for. Yes, because frustration across the digital space amplifies very, very, very quickly. We're <laughs> an instant gratification type of society now you know it's like we want what we want when we want it and as soon as you can't get it um you know whether it's your amazon order or yeah. it's for you to log in to be able to go to work that day digitally um you know it's like when that doesn't happen you get angry quickly it's yeah. very quick how the frustration hits especially when you ask everybody else like oh are you having these issues and they're like no so it's, it's important to, you know, get out in front of it. And like you said, have that type of communication with the general public to just bring down the levels. Because even if I saw from that software, a message come up saying, Hey, we're experiencing difficulties right now. Like check back later. I would have been like, okay, 
cool, I will, yeah. you know, but because there was zero communication, I was trying to figure out what was wrong with my computer. I was deleting it's, cookies, trying different browsers. Fault. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I wasted an hour and I also deleted, you know, my history, history of cookies on websites, which isn't the biggest deal in the world, but it's just like a pain in the butt when you have to like log back it's into everything. It's a convenience everything. thing, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that that this idea can be taken further out into something like e-commerce as well. Like I've had mm -hmm. really, uh, I've, had, I've had products arrive weeks late after being told that shipping would be like three, four days, right? And, but you have yeah. two different experiences there. You have the one where uh, your tracking number still says that it's out for delivery and it says it's out for delivery for two straight weeks and you hear nothing. And then you have the experience where um, even if it takes the same amount of time, like the, the day after that furthest out possible estimated shipping time, the company emails you and says, hey, we're experiencing these difficulties we yeah. may expect this to be shipped at this time. Here's what we're going through. And I am much more likely to not uh, kind of have my, 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 my digital temper rise if, <laughs> if, if somebody just explains that, right? Like something as simple as, yes, we know that this didn't get shipped out to you. Uh, either here's why and it'll be there soon or, you know, like so just some sort of acknowledgement. And that's so hard because we talk about digital accountability a lot, like keyboard courage, digital accountability. People just don't sometimes uh, feel that they need to act like decent human beings you know, either, yeah. or broadly like companies, website, like they, there may not be the, the, the thought in a company's head that they need to have the same level of customer service online as they do in person. And that's another element of this. And that's a huge element of crisis communication is you need to be the same person you are online as you are uh, in person, because that's how you build that brand to show people that you're there for them and not just to make a buck. Yeah, it was very funny, you know, talking about branding and communication of brands when um, earlier this week when Facebook and their suite of services went down, there was, uh, you could see on Twitter, all the different communication brands it was like, it was our time to shine, you know, and late stage capitalism aside of how like brands talking to each other on Twitter where they're like, Hey buddy, how you doing? And it's like, this is creepy. <laughs> Stop doing that. But regardless of that, it was funny to see how even when a service that they weren't relying on went down, other brands in that marketplace took the opportunity to say, Hey, this is what's going on, you know, and yes, I, you know, regardless of how you feel about how brands communicate in 2021, um, it was interesting to see communication teams say, hey, let's acknowledge this outage, you know, let's acknowledge what's going on with Facebook and Instagram when a bunch of SSLs expired, not three days before and nobody felt the need to say anything. So yeah, fascinating. This was this was something that kind of affected more of the front end, right? The the ability mm -hmm. to communicate. I wonder if Wendy's said anything. Did anyone look at Wendy's Twitter? Are they still? Oh yeah, no, off? I'm sure. Oh man, but I mean that the issue it, is is like every Twitter, every brand Twitter is trying to be like Wendy's Twitter, yeah, and yeah. that's why it's just gotten like, oof, this is weird. <laughs> it's like, look, we can pretend like our faceless corporate entity is a person too, and we can yeah, exactly. be kind of rude but kind of funny. Uh, look at us. And <laughs> I feel like it became relevant again because I feel like Twitter and we talk about this all the time. Twitter is kind of the, the redheaded stepchild that's just holding on for dear life. Like 
living from an off advertising perspective, from an advertising Absolutely, standpoint, yeah. living off of memes and you know short one-liner quips, and all of a sudden, boom! It became the most relevant platform on the planet for eight hours again. Yeah. And you saw all of that same sort of brand messaging tactics. It all just rose up all at once. Um, the you know it, it's those it's been it was and it's funny to read back through um, all of the all of the Twitter rants and the Twitter feeds and it's just mm-hmm. it's just wonderful pointless entertainment that just makes my morning so happy the last few days. My favorite honestly, meme was someone shared a photo of like the Tom from MySpace, like that photo he always had. It's like. Uh, He's been waiting, like in the waiting for this <laughs> or whatever. Like, it's probably his time to come back. I thought that was pretty great. Oh, good. So it's actually funny thinking about like what happened at Facebook and Instagram because, um, you know, where we were talking about the SSLs, which is there, it was a really complicated ecosystem of different pieces working together. And the SSLs were one of those pieces that was removed. And anybody that was using broke those everything. Let's Encrypt SSLs that broke everything. Now, Facebook encountered the exact opposite <laughs> issue, which is um, Facebook operates very much like Apple is trying to operate in people's lives, where I am on my MacBook with my iPhone next to me with my Apple AirPods in my ears recording this. It is, they want you to only use Apple. And Facebook only used Facebook, but they didn't just use Facebook for communication. They used the Facebook servers for everything. So their entire company was built off of this Facebook ecosystem. So when somebody was doing basically, you know, what amounted to a software update on the servers, they accidentally typed a few stray characters of code and sent messages to shut down the Facebook servers or a good portion of them. And what happened was they, they didn't have anything that they could do because they, their troubleshooting platforms were incorporated into this system servers. that they had just shut down. <laughs> and this shut down everything from like front door with entry keys to obviously the ability to log in and look at Instagram. It was fascinating, and it was truly a situation where, very similarly to what happened last week with the SSLs, was nobody had ever been faced with it before. You're just kind of like, wait, what do we do? You know, it's like you don't know. Oh, yeah, especially when Facebook goes, wait a minute, we shut down our own system and inside that system we shut down were all of the systems to help us troubleshoot the shutdown of this system. Oh, no. (laughs) Basically. Obviously, and this is a real-life example, it didn't work out, but do you think streamlining it all into one thing was a good idea to begin with? I mean, obviously, there's a it messed up, but to me, I see why they did it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's so unprecedented. I mean, this is probably a hole that they never thought that that would even be possible to fall into, and I'm sure they have now basically siloed some some, some off-site uh, parameters to like fix stuff like this if it goes forward now or they're they're working on it but this is just one of those things it but it seems more than just a up oh, live and learn like right like it is kind of a live and <laughs> yeah. learn sort of situation but uh, it seems a lot bigger than that when all of a sudden the uh the the platforms that the most of the world uses to pretend like they're social goes away <laughs> 
<laughs> no, and that that is a good point of, you know, what are the pros and cons of it? And uh, it's something that in web development we think about always, which is, um, I mean, just from the standpoint of integrations, you know, sometimes we are setting up a, some, you know, some kind of software and we're hoping that there's already an integration built with WordPress so we can make mm-hmm. it easy. Even if there's not, we can usually set up an integration through like a third-party API provider like Zapier. Yeah. So we can create it. But everybody who does software, I mean, outside of some rare specific cases, but for the most part, everybody knows that you'd rather not use a Zap. You'd rather use a direct integration because you're taking a middleman out of the situation that doesn't need to be there and having two things communicate one. And one channel of communication is better than having two channels. Mm-hmm. So for most cases, that's what I would say is I understand why Facebook did it. But when you look at something like servers, you know, um, how we handle our servers and specifically, you know, we have both physical and cloud servers and the cloud ones have different layers of actual ability to interact with them you know the servers might be provided by amazon somewhere and if amazon goes down then i can still use you know the platform that we have to get into those servers even when amazon's directly down and the servers aren't loading and vice versa if our platform goes down but the servers are still active i can still use that you know file transfer protocol to log in or use SSH shell to log in and see the actual data that's on the servers mm-hmm. that's just not visually displayed. So when it comes to some of these relationships between technology and how the technology is displayed to the public, I think it is best to have some kind of level of padding you know, between mm-hmm. them, is have some redundancies built into it, even to where, like you said, Kevin, you know, maybe we can't fix the issue But if a website goes down, I can get in there and put up a general maintenance page, even if we can't access it through other, you know, ways. So it just gives you that opportunity to kind of troubleshoot and communicate, which is what Facebook didn't have, which is why when you logged into Facebook, it looked broken, like nothing was loading. So maybe the ideal middle ground then between... Uh, keeping everything in-house so that you have ultimate control over it and uh, segmenting it out to a bunch of different, you know, third-party applications to make sure that you have flexibility over it. You talked about the pros and cons of both. So a good middle ground it might be what you were saying where you you keep it as integrated as possible, but you make sure that there are processes elsewhere that don't necessarily create middlemen in the moment, but allow for a takeover of some, uh, or at least access to some different things at each step along the way, uh, should the need occur. Exactly. Exactly. Is building in those back doors, you know, for, I would say anywhere that you have something that is public facing is, Number one, like you need to have the ability to always get around a potential issue to your forward facing uh, user experience always, because having that ability gives you the chance to what we were talking about earlier is implement that good crisis communication strategy that lowers temperatures, it lowers frustration, 
and it sets a clear expectation to the public of you know when they can expect something to happen or change when the situation is kind of playing out in real time so would those back doors leave you open to like vulnerabilities of like people being able to come in and no, no, it's not necessarily like, and I was thinking about that as I was explaining it is like backdoor is kind of synonymous with this idea of like being able to like do a master hack, you know, <laughs> which is like, uh, let's put it this way. Apple doesn't have a backdoor to an iPhone. There's no way to like that they can send it to the government and be like, here, plug in this code and it'll unlock it. Like that doesn't exist. And that's a whole whole debate with the government they are not happy about that there's people in guantanamo bay right now because they can't get into iphones but (laughs) what apple can do is send every single person that has an iphone a notification saying hey something screwed up you know or they can send everybody a a software update and it's just like just because they have the communication doesn't mean they also have a level that is a level that gets into users' personal accounts and informations as well. And that's probably so its whole co- own set of parameters to ensure that those two don't intersect with each other. And that's that's big tech and big data and stuff that, you know, goes even deeper, but not yeah. as it, it, the, the term backdoor as you were using it is not is not as uh you know not as black insidious. Hat as it's it's <laughs> seemed in the power it has been in the past. So um yeah. But, but so it and this I think it's so strange that these two things happened like within a few days of each other, but that's just kind of the nature of technology, right? Like it, the, the way that these big companies have built themselves up, um, that, that it, it's kind of the bigger they are, the harder they fall sort of thing to where when there is an issue, it's just a big old issue. Um, but. Yeah. And you mean, you know, we saw the number one thing um, when Facebook crashed on Monday is every single person was saying, it was because of the 60 Minutes interview, which is one of Facebook's account managers um, came forward as a whistleblower with internal Facebook documentation saying Facebook was more than aware it was helping uh, genocides take place in Southeast Asia. It was more than aware that it understood that different countries were trying to influence the United States elections in 2016 to 2020. And it was more than aware that it was a huge platform used by human traffickers. And instead of handling those problems, it prioritized profits before trying to fix any of those issues. So surprise, Facebook's evil. Nobody saw that coming. But (laughs) the other flip side of it is they're actually not related. Everybody was like, Oh, the government took down Facebook or did this or that. And, um, Oh man, there were eight whole hours for conspiracy theorists to go yeah. off. So I'm sure that they had nowhere to post them. them. Yeah, exactly. They had nowhere to post them. It was, it was yeah. chaos. <laughs> that's why, that's why Twitter saw, that's why Twitter saw such a jump. But I, I do think it's funny that the majority of what we saw on Twitter was just like satire and amusement rather than yeah. like, you know, rather than it, it, it just squashed any sort of like conspiracy theory stuff because everyone just wanted to make jokes about it and like take advantage of like the, the super rare PR opportunity to resurrect their Twitter brand and, and be Wendy's. Where the, uh, where everybody's took their conspiracy theories were obviously TikTok. Yeah. Because like TikTok is just like, man, it's just prime platforms for conspiracy BS. 
I have a lot of people in my life. I don't even have TikTok anymore, and which is crazy. It's just because I'm old and I like think Instagram reels are good enough. So I'm just watching recycled TikToks. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody. I'm just lazy. Um, One less platform. Like you're efficient. Seeing, yeah, exactly. Sure, that's what we'll call it, efficiency. Um, but it's like TikToks are so funny because the people in my life who are like really hype on TikTok just come at me with the craziest conspiracy theories about stuff, and I'm like, what do you? Like, where do you get off even thinking about this? You know, people are like, I. My most controversial belief is JFK didn't get shot. His head just did that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but um, welcome to TikTok. <laughs> yeah, jokes Whoa. aside, it's like, I think the the quick clip uh, snippets of kind of being like, and this connects to that and connects to this and connects to that. It's the Oliver Stone kind of yeah. filmmaking thing of jumping from this to that to this. And it's like, they're not actually related, but quick cuts make you feel like they are for some reason. Yeah, for sure. Um, Con- I just want to send you a picture of a room and say this room was located here. Doesn't yeah. mean any of that information is actually true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. But it's like it's like Twitter. So Twitter stops at the rant phase, right? Like you can rant on Twitter, but it's just a Twitter rant. Whereas TikTok includes editing and continuity and video yeah. and photo and the ability to put all of that stuff together in a very Twitter esque form factor. It's a lot. A but lot it's, it's a production. lot more yeah a lot of production it's how 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 intense do you want to be uh there's some pretty crazy pre- pretty crazy tiktokers doing like the the crazy like watchtower of turkey style editing continuity on their iphone oh, like, yeah. it's nuts like no it's unbelievable <laughs> what people are are capable of and it's like man like you care so much about 5g technology that you spend eight and a half hours editing this tiktok that like 17 people including myself are going to watch <laughs> fully and just, like, you exclusively sh- follow tiktokers with less than 100 followers i do honestly like that's what i like about instagram reels more than tiktok is like yeah. you get real real deep into reels i'm talking like <laughs> depression scrolling hours you oh, know when it's no. like 3 a.m and you've been on reels for an hour and a half and then you start hitting the people that it's like one like and like two comments and it's just like total weird chaos you know it's like somebody chasing a turkey around their yard in appalachia and i'm like damn like i am in the <laughs> forgotten in realms oh of this app goodness. right now you know and I'm a big that's fan what's of Instagram, fun and i have no idea like, i've never looked at reels in my life like i have no really idea right now. yeah it's just, you are it's like really tiktok light <laughs> Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, it's like TikTok, it's like TikTok light. And I mean Instagram's also trying to make like a clubhouse light where they're trying to get their their audio first rooms up and running here soon. So it's just, you know, it's Instagram trying to kind of take over all of the different uh, you know, media mixes and form factors and uh, you know, because they know that there'll be someone sitting in their bed at 3 a.m. going all the way down to the person trying to chase a turkey and they're gonna get views and they're gonna, you know. They, but it's like it goes from like turkey to like anti-vax science like real quick real too. fast and you're like, Whoa! <laughs> like okay um i'm gonna yeah set this down for at least a day here but um it is interesting you know what you were just talking about where obviously facebook and instagram have this desire to kind of either buy up their competition or if their competition doesn't allow them to buy it ripping that tech directly it. And, um, you know, what we're seeing, especially with that, you you know, the new Senate congressional testimony uh, surrounding Facebook and their inability to govern themselves 
and actually have the best intention for humankind at the core of their hearts, um, they're probably going to get broken up. I mean, I don't necessarily think they need to. I think they need to get Zuckerberg VF out of there. Like, I think it'd be such an easy and obvious answer to their solutions if he would just step down like Bezos is doing. You know what cheat was taken off Amazon once Bezos was just like, yeah, you're right. I'm just going to go to space now. Um, <laughs> it was like it really died off. And like Zuckerberg can't help himself being like, you know, the lizard in the skin suit that he is of just showing up at every possible point to talk and seem less and less human and not reassure anybody about the inner workings of Facebook. So like, I think they're going to end up getting broken up and we're going to see a sell off of Instagram from Facebook, which would be fascinating. We need to start a, we need to start a TikTok for the break room. That's just like these little hot takes in like 15 <laughs> second chunks. It's like if you just want, if you just want to get to like that 45 minute mark, where we're just where we're just going straight yeah. at Facebook and like what we think is going to happen. <laughs> this is the TikTok for that. This is where you'll see those. As switches. we are currently live streaming on Facebook, the meta irony <laughs> of these discussions goes so much deeper than anybody ever gives us credit for, and I just uh. want to let that be known. But yeah, right after like after the thirty-five minute mark, it's like the break room hot takes begin. I love it. I love it. I feel like I, I just want to get to this point. <laughs> this will be my last uh, meme I referenced, but my other favorite one was the end of someone posts like the end of social network where Zuckerberg's just refreshing that page, seeing that girl accepted her friend request, and they're like everyone's uncle right now. Facebook <laughs> 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 over and over until it works. I was like, dude, that's so freaking funny. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, that's like, that's been my favorite meme. It's like the copy pasta of being like, I'm so mad that like Mark Zuckerberg wanted to rank girls based off their attractiveness in like 1990s. And now like my uncle can't stop taking horse dewormer because he doesn't believe in science anymore. The actual trajectory of how dystopian Facebook got. Um, Obviously, you know, in the last handful of years, it's gotten considerably worse, but um, there was a lot of good discourse going around on Monday where, which was like, huh, maybe we should like, you know, the fact that we did get rid of Facebook and Instagram, like, and everybody was fine. You know, everybody ended up just going to TikTok or other platforms or just texting each other and talking normally. It, it started that larger discussion of saying like, golly you know do we need all of this or it's like what would it be like if facebook did get broken up or it changed dramatically in terms of what's actually on there um you know i thought it was a fascinating conversation to kind of follow because i'm reaching a point in my life where i used to always say i'd love to take a break from social media but i can't because of my job Mm-hmm. I really, you know, and that was, I would say that a lot when I was working more in the electronic music industry side of things where I, I needed to be on social media. Now, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have a position in the company that doesn't directly relate to social media. And, you know, I find myself still not taking a break from it because I'm thoroughly and intensely addicted to it. And it is, it's fascinating to think about like, okay, you know, as these things start to get broken up and they stop being such superpowers, you know, could that kind of start to fix 
the parasociology that, you know, we're all encountering with our addiction to information and, you know, digital media. And I, I, I kind of want to push back on your initial beginning with this, when you're saying that there was, you know, we are all fine. And yeah, in the big scheme of things, like, yeah, no one died because of this, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, there's some people who their main, main source of communicating with the world is through either Facebook or Instagram or their business's main yeah, way source of, of communicating to a certain is extent. Through this, yeah. You know, we run a lot of Facebook ads and like, yeah, like, you know, maybe one of our clients, I mean, they might have missed a potential sell because they were, you know, during that eight hours mm-hmm. or a potential thing. And so, yeah, it's not like life ending, you know, but I want to say that it was consequence free even on that end because yeah. whether it's someone like I have an aunt who she can't leave her house because uh, she has a, like a debilitating lung issue. And so mm-hmm. that is her main way to communicate with the outside world is through Facebook. And so for eight, eight hours, she can't do that, you know. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I haven't talked to her about it since then. That might be an interesting, you know, interesting thing to, to see how, how that thinks, went. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I just uh, I, I think it was like well, in the grand scheme of things, yeah, it didn't matter that much. Uh, and like, but like I like Twitter more anyway, so like I was fine. Um, <laughs> you know, some people really it did affect them um, on mm-hmm. a, a little bit deeper level than just like oh, I had to switch social media that I use that yeah. day. And it'd be interesting to see like over the next even I'm sure it's not going to take long for the the information to come out. But yeah, businesses that do run like the the big business, the bigger businesses that run through Instagram shops or boutiques or stuff like that. Well, what was it? What, how would they quantify the loss of those eight hours? Like, is it is that is that equivalent to them? Um uh, to like a, a, a brick and mortar business that does thousands of dollars of business a day, a retail business that has to shut down um, for, for six to eight hours because of a gas leak or a water leak or like something that happens. I wonder if they would see it in that same sort of light, in that same sort of detriment. You're like, oh man, like we really have to recover now because this was taken away from us uh, for, for, for one reason or another. Uh, you know, it, it, I think that'd be interesting to see. Cause like this happened a lot on a much larger scale with COVID. We had a, we have a client that they make the majority of their business through events throughout the year. And you, you never would have thought that it's like, Oh, well they have an e-commerce site and they have a brick and mortar store. And um, no one would think that actually where 80% of their income comes from are these trade show events or not trade shows, but these larger vendor style events that, they didn't get to go to for over a year. And so all of a sudden, something that, again, we might not think would be very consequential, like, oh, I can't go to the Lavender Festival. But all of a sudden, this business that relies on half of their year's revenue from a week-long Lavender Festival in the Valley in Albuquerque, um, that is hugely detrimental. Um, and so I know on a smaller scale, we're talking about eight hours, not eight months, but I'll bet you there, there are going to be some numbers out about ways that smaller boutique businesses that ran through social media um, uh, were, were affected and are even maybe even now trying to uh, kind of recoup that, even though it was just eight hours. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't agree. I don't think eight hours outside for boutique or small businesses made a big difference just based off of how we're seeing. Most sales. I absolutely believe that major businesses were completely affected by that outage. I'm not yeah. going to claim that they weren't because, yeah, you know, you you have there's models that are entirely set up with just Facebook landing pages to be sold and stuff like that. But 
I mean, the bigger point I was making there is like, I'm not saying we're going to get rid of Facebook or Instagram, but the fact that it's being broken up and changing into conversation about it being broken up. Yeah. Yeah. It's like now that we're starting to see that, okay, you know, this epicenter of information, we can start to disseminate it into other platforms as Mm -hmm. well and and break up communication styles. And it's like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I also, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just being unreasonably stalwart with it, but I think like, okay, if Facebook's down, like you can Google things, you know, you can text somebody like it's not, I get that people are, do have their entire day set up through Facebook, but, we but I need mean, it. it's not, we need it, Eric. Yeah. I mean, it's we not it like so bad. It's not that much of a huge <laughs> like thing to go to CNN.com and pull out your phone to text, but news. it is Eric, like, I get is, my news filtered seven times through a crazy person on Facebook. I don't go straight to, <laughs> that's the only thing. Liberal yeah, media. The only, the Liberal only information media. I get is through um, Facebook groups. And anyone that says that always start like, don't join if, um, yeah. Or like something like, you know, hot takes uncensored. (laughs) True. Yeah. That's Um, the real news. We lost our real news on Monday, Eric. We had to go to, we had to go to North, the normal liberal media for eight whole hours. Yeah. The mainstream media, the devils of the mainstream media. But, um, you know, we didn't see kind of, anybody talk about the the consequences that are coming down the road, you know, where media talked about Facebook and Instagram crashing, but it's like that testimony and the whistleblower really did kind of set a path for, yeah, we're going to see Facebook getting shaken up considerably, which is going to change everything. When did that 60 minutes episode air Sunday evening? Oh, so it's recent. Interesting. Yeah. So like, I'm going to need to go back and even watch that because I didn't know because that's I'm sure that'll lend me a ton more context to this as well, mm-hmm. or at least to what people think is coming down the pipe. So and, the, and then we can talk about it on another break room. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I think what we're going to see is Facebook is going to be recommended to sell off Instagram and WhatsApp. I kind of have this feeling in my gut that they're going to be forced to just sell off WhatsApp and be able to retain Instagram Mm -hmm. because they'll make the argument that all the uh, advertising platforms are already natively incorporated that run on Facebook. They get automatically placed on Instagram. Instagram. But that's what could shake up the advertising world the absolute most is if they do lose Instagram and have to sell that off, going to be an entire new system that we need to learn how to work with how the ecosystem is going to be entirely different the analytics the data that's being pulled all of it will be new and it kind of is going to be interesting to see how you know just the changes and the developments over the next couple of months with big tech are going to change our lives considerably yeah yeah and then it'll be we'll have to uh, all of the strategies that we put in place everything all of these all of these pathways, all of these funnels that we've developed because Facebook and Instagram have, have integrated themselves so well, it's just going to take it, you know, it, it, it'll be a completely new, new thing to have to do, which like we've talked about before, like the best agencies are the ones that don't just rely on the pre-established algorithms and the, the software that does it for you. The, the agencies that are going to stick around for the long run in the digital space are the ones that uh, wouldn't necessarily rely on those integrations like that completely as part of their strategies. So um, that 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 could be a, a kind of an action step for anyone in the agency world or 
you know, someone who's in marketing at a company to think about is, are you relying on the ease of use of the integrations between these platforms to, to write your whole strategy? And it may be prudent to, to develop strategy in, in, the, in the spirit of crisis communication, right? Develop a strategy that relies less on the integration between the platforms and more on the message and where you know you need to be reaching your audience regardless of the processes that are set up to place that message there. You bring up a great point and it's something that we were talking about earlier in a different context, but it's the creation of redundancies. You know, it's the creation yeah. of, hey, if we do lose this ability to do that, what is the backup plan? What path are we taking? You know, it's already discussions that we have internally regularly, which is we see things coming down the pipe. We see that Google is starting to do these things, which likely means this is coming. Mm -hmm. So we talk about how we can plan for it. So when it happens, you know, it's something that we take pride in when changes happen. We say, don't worry. We know it was coming. We prepared for it nothing's going to affect you to our clients. We don't say, let me tell you, we did not <laughs> realize that this was going to happen. <laughs> um, so sorry, you know, we got to troubleshoot and your budget's going to be screwed up for a little bit while we do. And it's like you said, you know, it's so crucial right now to start to think of, Hey, what would we do? You know, mm -hmm. just asking yourself those high level questions can help so much in the interim. Yeah. I think that that brought it all back around quite nicely. Funny, funny how we always tend to do that. We just bring bring both conversations together right there at the end. Right. Beautiful stuff. Job, Eric. <laughs> um, it's just it. I, I'm excited. You know, we're starting to see a lot of change and I think it will be good change mm -hmm. um, from Facebook and Instagram. There's definitely no shortage of social issues that both of those cause. But, you know humans are going to be humans regardless. So I'm happy to see that we're at least starting to be proactive about what companies can do and how much power they hold over influencing our lives. Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's just this, that that's just the thread that runs under a lot of the conversations we have is just waiting to see what that level of accountability looks like. And even if it makes our job as advertisers a little harder, if it's for the greater good, like it's fine. Cool. Cause it makes we'll, us we'll more savvy. Harder makes us more savvy, more intelligent, more learned. It, 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 it means that we can't just, just kind of sit back uh, and relax and rely on, uh, you know, the, inter the how, how, how larger companies and, and people with more resources have integrated it all for us. Like we need to be the, we need to be active as the, the ones that are working with a lot of small and medium sized businesses, the ones that really do need someone to help them understand how this all works and how this is going to all look. Um, into the future, companies that don't have large marketing teams and research teams, that's kind of up to us to make sure that we're not being lazy and that we're not just stuck uh, allowing ourselves to fall into that, uh, you know, pre-programmed mindset of advertising. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, y'all got anything else? I got no more rants. I'll have more next week, but. I know I'll have to get really uh, angry this week about something like uh, our software <laughs> crashing so i can come back with as much passion i like it but all righty well i guess we should get back to work here but um 
If you like what you're listening to, definitely tune in every single Wednesday to uh, catch other episodes of The Break Room and our discussion. You can also find us on anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. We try to get episodes up the next in the following few days after we do these live streams every week. And while you're checking out The Break Room on all of those different podcast channels, make sure to listen to our other more comprehensive and a little more formal podcast we put out, which is called Life of the Brand. If you like some of the discussions we have here, it's a little shorter, easier to absorb, and we're going into a little more high-level advertising discussion in those. It's a little less casual. But um, thank you to everybody that tuned in, and we will see you next week. Mm -hmm.